0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We've been preaching a series on the seven sayings of the cross. And today we bring a conclusion to that message series with this seventh saying of the Lord. I want you to look with me now in Luke chapter 23 as we begin with verse number 44. And I want to read through verse number 46. Luke 23, beginning in verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Here in this particular text, we come to the final words of Jesus that he spoke on the cross. And it's been a blessing to travel through the other sayings as well. And now we find the climax of his spoken words. And when I think about these final words of Jesus on the cross, I thank God that they would not be his final words to mankind. I'm glad that he still speaks today And somebody might say, well, he's never spoken to me. I wouldn't boast about that. In fact, that would be a serious problem. You say, well, pastor, how in the world does God speak to us today? Well, first of all, let me say that there is a passage in John chapter 10, verse 27, where he said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. But let me emphasize this morning that The voice of the spirit that you listen to, you need to try them to make sure it is of God. There's a lot of spirits in this world, but as a believer, we can know the spirit of God. We can know the spirit of truth. God speaks to us today in many ways. He speaks to us today through the word that you hold in your lap. He speaks to us today through prayer. He speaks to us today through the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us today through circumstances. He speaks to us today through the wisdom of wise counselors. By the way, let me say this about wise counselors. Be careful about who you confide in. I would never advise you to confide in somebody that's got a spiritual track record like a yo-yo. Plug into somebody that's been with God, where they have been with Jesus, and you've taken notice that they have been with Jesus. God will not speak to us today in an audible voice at a burning bush. But he has multiple ways of doing it. And we can feel Him speak. We can feel His voice in our hearts. The world that we live in today, if they had its way, they would stifle the voice of God in every way that they possibly could. And they're doing a pretty good job at it today already. I know many people in this world that would be absolutely turning backward flips in their life if they could remove Jesus and the Bible from everything they know or have access to. If the world had its way, they'd padlock every church. They'd burn every Bible. They'd take the cross off the steeple. They'd do away with everything remotely, reminding people, that God's spirit, that God's voice still speaks. I'm telling you, folks, we live live in a crazy, turned upside-down world. It's not just about Christianity that the world is vehemently against, but it's everything in our lives. And when you think about what's happening in our world today, every child of God that knows the truth, it ought to nauseate them to the core of their soul. I'm appalled at what I see happening in our world today. I don't know about you. When I come to the house of God, I know we're going to hear some old time singing that song that Rhea led us in today. I love to tell the story, the old, old story. I'm glad that here in this church we're still talking about the old old story we still use the word of god we still believe it we still preach it we still hold on to it but it's not like that everywhere i'm glad when we come in here you can find a place to sit you can be comfortable you can fellowship you can see the smile and the joy on people's face you can talk about their week they can talk about theirs We can sing these old songs of Zion and have a wonderful time in our faith. We can preach the word of God. Every now and then somebody will shout about it. And all that's wonderful and good, but it's not like that everywhere. When you go outside of these doors, you walk back into a world of hostility, a world that's vehement. I think that America by large, and not not just America, but you see it happening all over the world. It's turning into a heathen planet. And just for a few moments, it saddens me, but I want to say it anyway. I'm saddened what we see outside. I'm so thankful that we have a Christian school here. Last night, we had a great celebration with uh, our upperclassmen, and they really enjoyed themselves, had a great time. Thank you all for doing such a great job putting all of that together for them in the gymnasium. That was just a wonderful thing. They call it the annual spring formal, right? And, uh, oh, it was so nice to see those kids dressing up a little bit. I'm surprised that some of them could look so well. <laughs> but but I, I, I'm thankful for our school and for the values that they are taught from K-5 all the way through the 12th grade. We live in a world today where where values are just going to right is now wrong and wrong is now right and it's being accepted. And if the world had its way, they would remove the words of Jesus. They would make this Bible against the law. But it's the truth. And in this book, we have the word of God and he speaks to us fluently. These words that are spoken in these 66 books, they speak to you. They speak to me every day. When Jesus was on the cross, thank God, these words that he spoke would not be his last words. We can rejoice today as brothers and sisters in the faith that these words, they go far beyond the cross. And despite what anybody feels against it, In a hostile way, the Bible says in Psalms 119, verse number 89, that forever the word is settled in heaven forever. And so the cross, listen carefully, it did not silence Jesus. The last words on the cross, you think about it, they are filled with peace and contentment and salvation and faith and confidence and love. These words penetrate our heart. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. They're not the words of a despairing cry of some victimized martyr. It's the words of victory. And this seventh saying of Jesus on the cross, by the way, seven is the number of completeness. I want you to think about it. It's the number of perfection. The number seven is also the number of rest. You might be interested in this. I, I am from time to time. When you study a little bit about hermeneutics, and which is the study of properly interpreting the Bible, one of the studies in properly interpreting the Bible is the study of numbers. And if you don't have this already uh, in your heart, in your mind, that's somewhere in the margin of your Bible, you might want to write this down. I'm going to give you what numbers mean, one through seven. Because seven is the number of completeness, but number one is God's number And all other numbers depend on the letter or the number one. Number two is the number of division. It talks about separation. And number two affirms that there's a difference in things, in numbers particularly. The number three is the number of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it also gives us a little breakdown on the character of God in the three predominant ways that he is love, he is light, he's a spirit. Number four talks about the number of creation or the number of the direction in creation as far as north, south, east, and west, and we could talk about the four seasons of the year. Number five is the number of grace. Most of you know that. Number six, the number of man and the end of creation. And number seven is the number of completeness. Things were satisfied in the mind and the heart of God. The sixth time that Jesus spoke on the cross, it marked the end of the necessary things that would provide salvation. And after the six days of creation, on the seventh day, the scripture says that God rested. The seventh saying on the cross brings Jesus now to a place of rest where he had been brutalized beyond human comprehension. I have mentioned this to you many times as we have walked through these different phases of the cross. By the time Jesus got to the cross, he was beaten beyond human recognition. The prophet Isaiah said that his visage was so marred that no one would know him. His flesh was whipped off of his back. His vital organs were exposed. And now the Lord Jesus is hanging on the cross after evil, wicked men had done everything they could possibly do to him. He had completed the plan of salvation and now he turns to the father and he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now, another interesting thing is this in the seven sayings of the cross, three of them were primarily directed to men when he spoke to the thief and he said, today, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And then when he spoke to his mother, when he said, behold, woman, behold thy son, And then he spoke and he said, I thirst. And then three of the times Jesus spoke these words, they were directed to God. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he turned to God and he said, Why hast thou forsaken me? And here in this passage, when he says, Into thy hands I commend my spirit. But I believe that the one time he spoke, he addressed everyone when he said it is finished. I think it's noteworthy to notice that in these closing words of Jesus, like everything else he said, these were the words of fulfillment of Bible prophecy. I gave you this scripture once, but I want to reference it again in Psalms 31 verses 1 through 5. They'll get the scripture on the screen for you. The psalmist said, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust, let Me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thy ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me. For thou art my strength. Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And so many of these things that Jesus spoke on the cross were the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. I want to share with you quickly this morning four things that I see in this seventh saying of the cross. Number one, we see the Savior back in the fellowship with the Father. And I want to remind you that for three hours while Jesus was hanging on the cross, that communion, fellowship had been broken. Jesus had taken upon himself the sin debt of the entire world. And God could not look upon that sin. The scripture says, according to the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. This is what happens when we get into sin. And brother, let me tell you this. All of us have sinned. All of us will sin. There is absolutely no one walking on this earth today that walks in the realm of perfection. Every single one of us sin every single day in some way or another. None of us are perfect and we will not be perfect until we get to heaven. But here is the thing. Because we are sinners, and the scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible also says this, for the wages of sin, the price of sin is death. That word death is talking about an eternal separation from God. Sin separates us from God. It separated us from God in the garden. And still, sin today separates us from the fellowship of God. You cannot have good fellowship with God if you walk around with unconfessed sin in your life. Sin is not something that a lot of preachers still preach about today. A lot of church people don't want to hear about that. But I'll tell you what, it's still in the book. And if anything's still in the book, we still need to preach about it. Here's the thing. Here's the remedy about sin. When we get into sin, listen, it's not something that you have to walk around with a ball and chain the rest of your life. Sin can be easily dealt with. Jesus dealt with it on the cross, but here's what you do. The Scripture says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I promise you that God will never, ever bring up your past. When he forgives your sin, he puts it into the sea of his forgetfulness. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. And if anybody's bringing up your sin of the past, it's either you or the devil. It will not be the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, listen, when God cleanses you, And cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He puts it as far as the east is from the west. God will not let it slide. And he will not wink at it. But the only way that we can get back into fellowship with him is if we confess it according to the scriptures. And it must come from the heart. God knows the heart. He knows the heart inside and out. He knows whether we're truthful with it or not. The next thing that I want you to see here. In this last time Jesus spoke, number two, we see a perfect yieldness to God. Everything that Jesus was asked to do when he came to this earth, he did. Jesus took no shortcuts. He left nothing out. He did not lighten his load. By the way, let me say this again, that every miracle Jesus performed... He performed for the benefit of someone else. There are no miracles in Scripture where Jesus performed for his own personal benefit, not one. He did not take any shortcuts for himself. Everything that the Father sent him to do. Luke 19, 10 says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Everything that was required of Jesus to do to fulfill God's plan of redemption, Jesus did it. When God did not remove the bitter cup from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was still willing to go through with it. When he had the opportunity to walk away, Jesus didn't take a shortcut. He didn't say, hey, I'm not going to do this. This has gone a little bit too far. God, this is a little bit ridiculous now. Jesus didn't do that. I want to show you what I mean. He could have, if he wanted to, he could have walked on by. In John chapter 18, I want you to see this passage of Scripture. I'm coming back to Luke in a moment, but in John chapter 18, I want you to see something fascinating here in verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, and to the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, he knew what was coming. The Scripture says, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus didn't say, I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. He was here a minute ago. It's not what he said. Look at this. Jesus saith unto him, or them, I am he. And Judas also which betrayed him stood with him. But notice this. This is the key verse here in verse number 6. Jesus is having this conversation with the Roman centurions. He knows what they're going to do. In verse 6, as soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Do you know what that means? That when Jesus spoke these words, they were so filled with truth and power and awe that these people who came to arrest him in the garden, the scripture says they all fell backwards. And you know what Jesus could have done? He could have said, excuse me, please. And he could have walked on by, but he didn't do it. The scripture says that he was willing to go to the cross Jesus could have stepped over them and walked away, but here's the deal. His appointed hour had come. It was the time. He knew that there was no other way. God made it clear. There is no other way. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will is mine. Number three, I want you to see this, and this is something that we hold dear to in our faith. We believe this with every fiber of our Christian faith and belief in the Scriptures. We see the scope of eternal security. And I want you to notice this this morning. This is important. This is powerful. This is a doctrine that we adhere to. And we need to be reminded of it from time to time. Thank God that the hands of the Father are secure hands. We believe here in our church because of what the Scripture says, that once we have given our heart to the Lord that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from him. In fact, John 10, 28 says this, and I give unto them eternal life. He didn't say temporary life, life until you sin, life until you're royally messed up. That's not what he said. He said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That means this, any man. That not only means you but it also means me you see there's nothing you can do to make me unsaved I cannot save you you cannot save me I cannot keep you saved you cannot keep me saved I am not saved by something that I have done I'm not saved by human works I'm not saved because of a Christian ancestry I am saved and kept by the power of God and here's the thing. The word says, no man shall pluck me out of his hand. Eternal security is one of the greatest confidence that a believer can have. In fact, First John 5, 13 says it this way. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. First Peter chapter 1 verse number 5 says this, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, the scripture says, Not of works of righteousness, but according to his mercy he saved us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep ourselves saved. The blood of Jesus can save us. And the safekeeping hands of God can keep us saved. And number four, and I'll ask our musicians to come forward, the last thing we see is the believer's resting place. And I want you to look at this, the believer's resting place. In John chapter 14, in fact, let me go to verse number 1 with that. In John chapter 14, in verse number 1, the Bible says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare you a place. Just a few days ago, Danny and I stood beside the bedside of my father, our father, And we watched him take his last breaths. You know, that's not that's not something that anybody or everybody would prefer to do. And maybe some of you have gone through this and you've not had that opportunity, that experience. And maybe it would be a personal preference where you did not want to do that. But I tell you what, if there was life in my body. Breath in my body. I would not want to be at the Walmart when my dad was taking his last breath. You know you know what that's like, Dennis. You know what it's like. You know what it's like, David. You know what it's like, Teresa. I stood there and watched him take those double breaths for a moment. He went like this. And then it got to be where he went. And then that got further between the breaths. And then all of a sudden he went. I put my hand on his chest and I looked at Danny and I said, he's gone. But the truth is this. He's not gone, just gone. He's gone home. He is in the presence of God. He wouldn't come back now for all the gold in Fort Knox, Kentucky. He's safe. It's a resting place. I'm thankful for heaven. And by the way, those of you that have got loved ones on the other side, they're not struggling today. They're not in pain today. They're not having difficulty today. Sister Phyllis, you know what it's like. Brother Ray, you know what it's like. It's our loved ones. And I'm so glad, Phyllis, I had the opportunity to be with your your mom and dad at, at their point of passing. Your, your, your mother was so precious, had an opportunity to share the gospel with her. Brother Ray, your dad, I, I never will forget that sitting there in his living room and he put his hand in mine and gave his heart to Jesus. I'm so thankful that heaven is a place, a resting place. And when Jesus said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. All the brutality that he had gone through, he had put it in the resting place of his father. And number five, the last thing, this is that these words gives assurance that he will never be crucified again. I've given you three scriptures there, but let me just give you the last one that you have. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 10, by the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Oh, he's coming back. But he's not coming back to a cross. When the rapture takes place, we'll meet the Lord in the air. And seven years after that, when He comes in the Revelation, according to the Word of God, His feet that day, Zechariah fourteen four, will stand upon the Mount of Olives. The Word says it will cleave in two. He will lead the sainted million down those slopes of the Mount of Olives he will lead us through the Kidron Valley he will go through the Eastern Gate and he will take his place upon the throne of David where the scripture says he will rule and reign for a thousand years he will never be crucified again there are people that want to silence him today there are people that want to throw this book in the river burn it in a fire Silence him in any way that they possibly can, but they cannot do it. He's alive and well. When Jesus said, Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. He knew that the Father's hands were trustworthy, safe, eternal hands. And he was once again reunited with the Father. In fact, on the cross was the first time he had been separated from the Father. Ever. The Bible says that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Yes, but this thing on the cross demonstrated the reality of what separation from God was all about. It broke the heart of Jesus. It broke the heart of God. But when Jesus had completed the plan, he put himself into his Father's hand. He commended his spirit. And the word says he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He wasn't through speaking. He wasn't through working. There was a lot of things going on during those three days that his body was in the tomb. We've already talked about that in depth in one of these sermons. But I want you to know something today. You need to put yourself in the safekeeping hands of Jesus. You know, there's a commercial that's been on forever, and it says, are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? Let me ask you that question today. Are you in good hands? Nothing in this world will last forever. But the word of God abides forever. And the word of God says that we are kept by the power of God. We are kept in the safe, keeping hands of God forever. I'm so thankful that when we have crossed the Chile Jordan, if some of us may be alive when the rapture takes place. I, I get that. But if the rapture doesn't take place before our time to go, when we cross the chilly Jordan, thank God we won't have to cross it alone. And when we step into the presence of the Lord, we won't ever have to worry about suffering again. I'm thankful that it's a land that's fairer than day. Something about these safe-keeping, wonderful, awesome, good, lovely, holy, righteous, pure hands of God. If you don't know what I'm talking about today, don't put your trust in the work or the help of man. Man will fail you. Man will lie to you. Man will cheat on you. Man will do everything he possibly can to only think of himself. But not the Lord Jesus. Though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty we might be made rich. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at Road dot com.